Aaron, but I got to have more than that. So let's try that again. Good morning. There we go. I'm glad you're here this morning. Blessed day to be able to come and worship together. And uh, speaking of Pastor Aaron, please pray for him and Nicole and Maddie and especially Aiden. Uh, they took Aiden to Salt Lake City this last week to have a rod replaced in his femur. And uh, if you know Aiden, he's got a special condition. And so just a very painful thing for him. <clears throat> so he's recovering. But keep, keep, keep praying for them. Um, several things going on. I'd like you to be, uh, be in prayer about and be a part of. Uh, the note about pack a shoebox for Samaritan's Purse for Operation Christmas Child. Great ministry. Chance to put some trinkets, if you will, into a shoebox, send it halfway around the world or wherever, and people are going to share Christ through that box. And so really take several boxes, fill them up, and bless the Lord and bless these kids. Pray for them to come to know Christ, them and their family. Newcomers lunch today right after church, uh, right over in our small gym. Uh, that's for you if you're new to College Heights or been coming recently or just want to get to know the pastors a little bit better and their families. We'd love to get to know you better. And so please just come and join us after church and have a little meal with us and some fellowship. will be a sweet time. Uh, upward basketball registration is happening pretty much now. Our first evaluation is November 5th. That's a ministry for children five years old through sixth grade. And uh, it's a great ministry. We share the gospel with them at practice. We share testimonies at every game. Uh, we really pray for our kids and their families to come to know Christ. And so, so please, if you had children that age, uh, we encourage you to register and be a part of that ministry. Uh, notes about business meeting next Sunday after church. Uh, collegiate ministry snacks. We need some more snacks on the 25th of this month. Just bring them to the church on a Tuesday. Sandwiches, uh, chips, uh, cookies, you know, soda, whatever uh, the kids would like. So just bring those to the church and we'll be a blessing to them. Uh, note about Ashton. Ashton is our church secretary, administrative assistant. She's sitting back there in the back wishing I wasn't talking about her. But I am Ashton, so... She's going to be out of the office. She's been having some health struggles. She's going to get those checked out. And so she's going to be gone. So pray for her and, uh, and tell her. Ashton, raise your hand. Hire. So everybody that you see Ashton today say, we're praying for you. We love you. And we'll be uh, trusting the Lord with you. So please do that. If you have a need while she's gone, just call one of the pastors and we'll either help you with it or find somebody that can. Uh, October 30th and November 13th, we're going to be going door to door. Uh, we usually do a uh, thing before Halloween. We do a reverse trick-or-treating, and we just go out and share the gospel with our community. But we also give them an invitation for the Thanksgiving meal box, especially some of the folks that might be more needy in our community. And we just want to share the love of Jesus with people. And I encourage you to come. And I mean that. I encourage you to come. I don't care what your excuse might be. If you don't know how to do it, come and we'll send you with somebody that, that has done it before. But if you don't know how to do it, God will help you. And it'll, it's just a blessing to go out and touch our community. So please join us for those days. Uh, we do need some candy for that first one on October 30th. So if you could just bring some bags of candy, we'll put them all together on the 29th on a Saturday at, at 10 in the morning. And we'll just take some candy out and be a blessing to some people. Finally, uh, this Halloween, October 31st, Pastor Max is leading a prayer time from 5 to 9. We're going to be praying about different things. He's got some things lined up, but uh, there's a lot of needs in our community, a lot of needs in our community. And so spiritual needs, 
certainly physical needs, but a lot of spiritual things that we need to pray about. And so if you can come any part of that, you can come anytime, you can come at five, you can come at six, you can come at whenever, you can leave whenever, ever, but it'd be great to come together and just pray. All right. All right. I think that's it. Let's stand and pray and we'll begin our worship service. Heavenly Father, we love you. It's so good to be here this morning. It's amazing, Lord, that in your name, we can come together and be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not, it's not just empty words, Lord. You unite us. Once we were not a people, your word says, but now we are the people of God. And I rejoice in that. And Lord, that's why we've come. We've come to worship you because of what you've done through your son, Jesus. And so we pray that you bless our praise team and those that are serving uh, in the sound booth. We pray that you'd bless those that are taking care of our babies. We pray that you just bless this time so that we can lift our voices and give you glory because you deserve it. But we also pray, Lord, that as we come together, that you do a work in us. Some of us need encouragement. Some of us, Lord God, need to be confronted with our sin and we need to repent that we might find refreshing that comes from you, Lord God, through the spirit. Uh, some of us, Lord, we need healing. Some of us need direction. Uh, some of us need to be saved, Lord, to trust Jesus as our savior. Whatever the need is today, we pray that you would just accomplish that in us and we pray that your name would be honored and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
You'll return to your places. We will sing again this morning. Deep. 
may be seated. Good morning. Does anybody in this room like football? Good. All right. Yesterday I got to go to NC down here. Uh, Casper Christian uh, was playing NC, and it was such an exciting game. I mean, there were touchdowns after touchdowns. Everything was going great until the last eight seconds, and Casper Christian lost. But it, it was still an exciting game. Um, today, we need to pray. We need to pray that our hearts would be right. Uh, on the 30th, we're going to be sharing Christ in our community, going door to door. And we want to see God work. And the only way that's going to happen is if we get on our knees first and pray. So let's pray about that. And I'd also like us to lift up uh, Ren and Whitney are here this morning. They're, they're working in the Star Valley. Uh, praise God for them. They're part of our mission team, and um, we pray for them. So we're just glad that you're here today. Thanks for coming in. And in Africa, I'd like us to pray for Zambia. We've, we're supporting an orphanage in Zambia and also the ministry of the churches, church planning ministries, in northern Zambia. So let's pray for them also. Let's go to our knees right now. Lord, as we pray, we, we want to exalt your name. We know that you're the God that hears and answers prayer. We pray that our hearts would be right, that we'd be able to share the gospel uh, by faith, not wavering, not ashamed of the gospel. Help us to be bold and loving and kind and yet just depend on you to open the doors so that people might listen to your word and listen to the gospel of Christ. Pray that you would use us in a mighty way on the 30th as, we, as a church we go out after, after church and um, share in our community. May the love of Christ flow through us, Lord. Just pray for our city. As so many things are happening around town and people are hurting, yet we call upon you because we know that you are there for us, Lord. Help us to be, be prayerful. And we lift up those over in Africa, Lord, over in Zambia, our dear friends, Makuka, Pastor Edward, and others, Lord. We pray that you'd just uh, fill them with your spirit today as they share the gospel with, with the African people there in Zambia, Lord. Father, thank you also for your word, the message of truth this morning from Matthew 16. I pray that you'd use that word in our lives. Help us to um, understand. May the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives. We pray for this unsaved, that those who need Christ would come to you. Be with Pastor Mike as he presents your word today. Father, also I pray for the offering that it be a blessing today, Lord. Help us to worship you in that. We're grateful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
foot of the cross and prayer and we see our Savior lifted high um, by his grace all pride goes away from us and we can sing this next song in truth we can declare Christ be magnified so let's sing that this morning
the whole earth echoing his eminence his name
All right, kids, time to go to Super Church. Well, good morning again. I'm about to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16 with me this morning. Such a sweet prayer to just sing about Christ being magnified in us. It's a much taller task than we want it to be because we have to put ourselves down for that to happen. But man, what a, what a prayer that Christ would be magnified in us. You know, last week we talked about what do you say about Jesus? And we talked about Christ bringing the disciples to this place where he's about to turn his attention to Jerusalem. He's about to head south. The persecution's about to arise even greater than it's been, and he's going to go to the cross. And so he is really calling his disciples to this place of, of understanding. Do you know who I am? And of course, Peter makes this powerful confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus basically says, man, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who's in heaven, this is an incredible truth, right? Uh, this is a truth that that I hope that you and I, if you are a follower of Christ already, hasn't taken for granted. Uh, the fact that God would do a work in our lives to draw us to salvation, the fact that God would would reveal the truth to us about Jesus Christ so that we could have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, hope, security, direction, a future. I mean, the things that come with Christ, I mean, that's what life is. Life is based on Christ. I don't know when we're going to figure that out, but I hope it's sooner than later. I hope it's sooner than later when we realize that, that it's not stuff that fulfills our life. It's not money that fulfills our life. It's not even relationships with other people that completely fulfill our life. It's Christ. It's him that makes the difference in our life. And, and so we've had this great confession by Peter and this great encouragement by, by Jesus to talk about what a gift that is. And uh, we should always remember that and focus on that. That's really what the focus of this passage is. But this morning, Jesus goes on to deal with Peter in kind of a shocking way. And so I'm calling this message this morning, what does Jesus say about you? And I think that's really important to us because when it comes to the shock, if you will, of God's grace and his love and salvation, uh, man, there is a life to be lived after that that is powerful and costly sometimes, and yet incredibly rewarding. And so look at Matthew 16, we'll begin reading in verse 18. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven." Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. <coughs> Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, for, forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word, and we're thankful for it. 
And oftentimes we look into it, the simple, profound truth that springs forth from it, and we realize, Lord, that, that there's more to it than we often want. There's truth in your word that, like your word says, is like a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and it does. And oftentimes, Lord God, we shy away from that because we don't always want you to know the thoughts and intentions of our heart. But here we are today, Lord Jesus. You've brought us here on purpose. You have something you want to say to us. And I pray that you would make our hearts receptive to your word today. I pray that whatever you need to say to us, you would say, and that we would respond in obedience out of love to you, Lord God. I pray for those that are here that have never trusted Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray that you would be exalted in us today. Magnified, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we come to this, like I said, kind of crazy response. Jesus is asked, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And once Peter makes this incredible confession, I mean, we talked about it last week, an incredible confession. He knows that Jesus is the Christ. He knows that there is no other Savior. There is no other way to salvation. There is no other hope for salvation. There's no other source of salvation. It's just Jesus. You, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, and you're the Son of God, Son of the living God. You're God in the flesh is what he was saying. It was powerful for him to actually confess this about a man. Right, Just a man that looked like the rest of us except who was Christ, who was God. Powerful confession. Jesus encourages him. But then it's like Jesus looks at him and goes, so now I've got something to say to you. And, man, I, I hope we'll kind of hear this today because right, the Bible was written for us. This stuff was given to us to hear. And so when we look and realize that after Peter's made this confession of Christ that Christ has a response to him. We need to hear his response to us. So he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It's an incredible thing for Jesus to say. I mean, just think about this. I mean, Peter's made this great confession, but along with confessing Christ comes with a response to that confession from the Lord. And the response is, awesome, now I've got something for you. Now you have a role to fulfill in my kingdom. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's one of the most neglected truths that we have in the American church today I mean, most believers in the American church could care less what God has for them. They have no desire to know what God has for them. They have no desire to serve God at the level that God would like them to serve him. They have really no desire to find out what their spiritual gifts are, to plug into a church and walk together. And how do I know that? People tell me. People show me. It's, it's evident. It's certainly not everyone, but if you think that we want to hear from Jesus, say, hey, Peter, I'm going to make you a foundation part of my church. It's going to be huge and life-changing and costly. 
If you think people want to hear that about themselves today, maybe you ought to start, maybe open your own heart about where you're at with that today. Because it's, it's fairly shocking, if you will, to think that God wants to do something significant through us. Not common, not normal, not easy, not cheap, not convenient, not based on our abilities, not based on our time, not based on our desires, not based on anything about us. God wants to do something in our life that's beyond what we could possibly imagine because we are now his and he has a purpose. Matter of fact, to kind of go along with this scripture, parallel scripture is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We all know 8 and 9. We know that very well. You know, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, not, or let me get it right, uh, is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man, no man may boast. And we, we love those verses. It's this celebration of, look, I didn't do anything to get saved. It was by the grace of God. It wasn't by my own works. I didn't earn it, right? It's just this incredible gift of salvation that God has done in my life. And we all go, hallelujah. I'm glad Jesus did what I needed to have done so I could have eternal life. Praise you, Lord. But then you read verse 10 and things kind of change. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And then you go, oh, I see. Salvation isn't just a piece of paper that I can stick in my shirt pocket and keep until the day I die, like a ticket to heaven. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is a change of heart and a change of mind and a change of Lord. Salvation means I now have a relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, he has expectations of me. In that relationship with God, he expects me to respond to him in love and follow him in obedience and be used by him to impact this world. And man, I got to tell you, if the church would ever wake up in America and say, we have a role in the kingdom of heaven so that we can change this world, man, we might see things happen in our city that are desperately needed in our city. I don't know sometimes what we're thinking I mean, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit shocking to me sometimes to see how indifferent we are toward the people around us in our city. And I'm, I'm talking about myself as well as you. I'm not just talking about people in general. I'm talking about every single one of us. You know, we've, we've, I think I shared last week that, that statistically per capita we we're number one in the world for suicide in Casper, Wyoming. In the world, number one. Guys, that's heartbreaking to me. I mean, it's heartbreaking to me. Uh, we, after saying that last week, we had a gentleman come to our Bible study Wednesday night, and when we asked for prayer concerns, he said, I have a friend whose daughter just committed suicide, and she's going to have to go identify her tonight. I rode with one of our police officers, one of my dear friends, Friday night, and we were talking about some of this, and he said, it's so common, I, I don't even think about it. It doesn't even, doesn't even really phase me so much suicide. So when they got the new chief, the new chief was saying to him, do you guys know how much suicides in Casper? Do you know how strange that is? And, and they were like, oh, we just thought it was normal. But the same 
same officer Friday night told me, said that we are number one per capita in all officer-involved shootings in Casper as of just recently. And it's heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking for our police officers to me. It's heartbreaking for our community to me. I mean, here we are. We're, we're breaking into a passage that, that God clearly speaks to this man after he confesses him as, as Messiah, as Savior. And he says to him, then know now that you know who I am. I have a role for you in this kingdom. I have a purpose for you in this kingdom. And it's going to be beyond human comprehension. I mean, he basically says to him that you're a rock now. Your name was Simon, but now you're Peter. Peter means rock. Even though Matthew has used Peter's name before in this gospel, we come to this place and we find out that there was a reason. He wasn't always called Peter. He was always called Simon, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of, son of Jonah. That would have been his name until he came to this particular place in his life. And when he came to this particular place and he confessed Christ as the Messiah, Jesus said, your name's going to be different now. Your name's going to be Rock. You're going to be a part of the foundation of this kingdom that I'm going to build and I'm going to use you to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's incredibly intimidating. That should be really intimidating to most of us. Who is qualified for that? Who is gifted enough for that? Who is able to be used by God to that extent that God would say to you, on this rock, on you, Peter, I'm going to build my kingdom. Now, don't miss the fact that Jesus is still the builder. Jesus is still the owner. It's his church, right? I'm going to build my church. He's going to do this. It's not Peter doing this. But know that Peter's going to be a part of it. And what's so, what's so, what blinds me or blows me away so much is that I am convinced without a doubt that that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be a part of that. We're no different than Peter. Men have specific roles to play. Women have specific roles to play. But every single role is to be used by God for the building up of the body of Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look it up. It's a great description of what God does. There's one or there's different ministries. There's different gifts. There's different manifestations. But one spirit, right? right? He's working through us all. And he puts us into the body as he sees fit for the common good to build up the body. And yet, man, today, when it comes to serving and walking and working together and being a part of the body of Christ, all of us pick and choose what we will and what we won't do, when we will be a part and when we won't be a part, how we are going to respond to Christ in our life. I just spent time with a young pastor, a church planter, great young pastor, great young preacher, loves the Lord, fantastic to spend time with this kid. But their church is only three or four, maybe five years old. It's really grown the last year, uh, went from 40 to 80, hallelujah. It's just kind of it's sweet to spend time with this guy. But, but he was telling me, he says, I can't really get anybody to serve. Like I, we ask him to serve in the nursery, you know, once a month for an hour because we got a bunch of kids, but we, we can't get anybody to really serve. They'll tell, them they're, they'll tell, they tell me, you know, I'm too busy or I'm too tired or it's too difficult. And so he was telling me, he says, so I've started saying to them, well, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating right? Are you exercising enough? <laughs> I told him, I said, quit that. Quit that. Because they're doing everything else they want to do. So they have all that they need to do everything else that they want to do. Start calling them to serve Jesus because they love Jesus and he loves them. 
It's ridiculous to me. I, I know I'm the old codger. I get that. I'm for sure old school. I was old school when I was young. And I'm not sorry about that either. But that's ridiculous to me. I'm not going to beg you to serve Jesus. No one should ever beg you to serve Jesus. You should be thrilled to serve Jesus. If you've confessed him as your savior, if you've said he's the Christ, he's the son of the living God, if you know that God made that available to you so that you can have eternal life, when Jesus says to you, serve me, you should go, yes, sir, happily serve you. No man needs to beg. Matter of fact, I told him, I said, if they say to you, well, I, don't, I can't really serve in the, the nursery, I'd say, well, then where can you serve? Where is your giftedness? You don't have to serve in the nursery. But where is your giftedness? Because you need to serve the Lord, right? I mean, here's Jesus. He comes to Peter, calls him Peter, calls him rock, and says, serve me. It's such a shocking truth that for many years, people have tried to kind of do away with it, right? They've kind of said, he's not talking about building his kingdom or his church on Peter, He's talking about building his church on himself. And so sometimes they say, well, he says Peter's the little rock, but as he says, and I'll build my church on the rock, he looks at himself and says, I'm the big rock. No, no, that's not what that passage says. He didn't need to name him rock if he was going to build him on his own rock. And he is the rock. He's the rock, by the way, right? But he calls Peter rock because he wants to build him on Peter and the other apostles. And we'll read a verse here in a minute that talks about that. Other people twisted away to say that Christ was establishing the first pope of the Catholic Church. Sorry, it doesn't say that. It doesn't talk about any kind of succession. He's talking about Peter for what he's going to do in Peter right then and right there. And, man, I, I got to tell you, let's, let's kind of put some things together so that we don't miss this. Because I want you to know there's plenty of passages in Scripture that talk about Jesus being the foundation 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11 is one. And it says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? So the scriptures aren't unclear. Peter isn't the foundation of the church, but he is part of that foundation, which upon we've been built, right? Through what God did in Peter's life those 2,000 years ago and through the other apostles' lives and then other believers since then, God has built his church. But let's look at this so you can understand that that's in the scripture as well. Ephesians 2.20 explains it best. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In other words, the church is built on this foundation that was laid by these men that served Jesus. These apostles and these prophets and Christ is the cornerstone. He's the key whereby all the other foundation was laid. So he's the key. He's the builder. He's the owner of this church. But he wants Peter to be a part of this in this incredible way. Now, here's what has to happen for that. I mean, first of all, Peter has to grow. Uh, we're going to see that. We just read that. Uh, he's not really fully understanding who Christ is yet. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we know 
even later on, right, as, right after Christ is arrested, that Peter denies him three, not, three times. I mean, he's still not the rock that he needs to be, still not ready to be all that Christ wants him to be. So when we begin to talk about God calling us to serve him, we have to realize that part of that is we're going to have to grow. If we're going to serve him the way he wants us to, we're going to have to be ready to serve when he calls us, and we're going to have to be ready to serve as we grow. Now, that's the problem for many of us. Many of us want to serve God, but we don't want to grow. Is that true? Because, man, you guys are like the first service. You guys are just kind of sitting there looking at me like, huh, you probably ought to quit this stuff and move on. Well, I'm not going to quit, and the Lord won't move on. You see, when it comes to serving Christ, yeah, you have to grow. You have to grow in your faith. You have to grow in your knowledge. You have to grow stronger. You have to grow more humbly. You have to grow in love. You have to grow in perseverance. You have to grow. You don't get to stay and be an immature Christian. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was talking with the guys in the back this morning, and I was asking them what they were talking about, and they told me something kind of silly. And uh, Connor says, you know, I still need milk. So I'm picking on Connor. He was like, still need milk. Well, he was just teasing with me, but truth is, is that a lot of us still need milk, Right? Because we're just shaking in our shoes when it comes to serving Jesus, even to the extent that we can't let go of our time enough to even say, I will commit to doing anything for Jesus because, you know, if I let go of my time and my control of my time, I'm going to suffer somehow. If that's not the silliest, most shallow reason for not serving Jesus... I don't know what one is. There's no depth to that. There's no faith in that. There's no strength to that. There's no wisdom to that. I mean, the truth is, is we're going to have to grow. Peter had to grow. But the way he grew, do you know how he grew? He spent time with Jesus. That's right. He walked with Jesus. And the more he walked with Jesus, the more he was taught, the more he was challenged, the more he was rebuked, the more he was strengthened, the more he grew in wisdom and stature. We need to spend time with Jesus. Now, we need to be in our word. We need to be in prayer. And by the way, one of the ways to spend time with Jesus is to serve. Man, just serve. If God gives you the opportunity, step in and serve. But here we are. Thinking to ourselves, I could never do that. I could never do this. I even talked to one young lady after our first service. And she was telling me, she goes, I have a ministry that I started in the place that I work. And people are coming. And I'm able to share the gospel. I'm able to share and pray with people. And she says, I've really been burdened by that because I didn't feel like anything was happening. And I said, well, that's just part of the battle. Because it's amazing that you would start a Bible study in your workplace and then people would come and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Why would you lament that? And you just have to have this little bit of change of heart, right? God can do amazing things through us. And when he does, we should thank him. True? So let's talk about Peter. Did he become the rock? I mean, is it possible that he became the rock? Well, in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, It says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter 
and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, Philip went up to Samaria, started preaching the gospel. A whole bunch of people got saved. They sent word back to Jerusalem and the Jerusalem guys were like, can Samaritans really get saved? Can Samaritans really become a part of the church of Jesus Christ? We'll send the rock down and we'll see John who was also part of building the foundation of the church. And they went down there and went, these guys got saved just like we did. They prayed for him, laid their hands on the Holy Spirit came on them just like they did. And they went, no way. God's even gonna save the Samaritans. Peter took the lead in that. Then you read over in chapter 10 of, of Acts and I'm not gonna read through the whole chapter, but, but Peter's over in Joppa, right on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. This guy named Cornelius is north of him. Cornelius has a vision by the Lord at the night, says go down to Joppa, find a guy named Simon, He's, or Simon Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon the Tanner. Have him come up and share his message with us. This would have never happened because Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile. But just before Cornelius' men come and show up at Peter's house, Peter has a vision. He's up on the roof. He has a vision. This great big white sheet comes down out of the sky. It falls open. There's a whole bunch of unclean animals there. And God says to Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter goes, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And God says, what I say is clean. Don't you call unclean. Now that's awesome. He does it three times. He gets done with these three visions. Hey, is there a guy named Peter here? I'm Peter. What can I do for you? Well, my Gentile master sent me for you to come to his house. Jews didn't go to houses of Gentiles ever. They wouldn't set foot in them. Will you come? Well, what God says is clean. Don't call unclean. And Peter went up, shared the gospel with Cornelius, and it says him and his whole family, his whole household were saved. Later on, I think it's chapter 15, when they were fussing about the Gentiles being a part of the kingdom, Peter stood up and went, you remember what I told you. I went, I shared the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did on us and you can't tell them they can't be a part of the church. I mean, Peter was crucial to the establishing of the church in the New Testament. If that weren't enough, you go to chapter five of the book of Acts and you remember a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. So they come and they bring some money because they said they've sold a plot of land and they're gonna bring the money and they're gonna give it to Peter and to the people of the church to share so they'd have enough except they lied about it. They sold it for a certain amount. They kept some back. And all they would have had to do is tell Peter, hey, we sold it for this amount, but we're going to give you this amount. It would have been great. But no, they said they sold it for whatever they're giving, and they lied. We would consider it to be a small lie, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be a small lie for some of us? We, we didn't really tell all the truth, but just, you know, it's a little lie. Peter said, no, Ananias, the men who are going to carry your body out are at the door. And he fell down dead. And a few hours later, Sapphira, his wife, came. He asked her the same question. She lied to him too. And he says, the men that just got done burying your husband are at the door and they're going to carry your body out too. And she died. Man, and the Bible says that awe and fear and trembling came upon all the church and those around them. You think Peter didn't have a critical role in establishing the foundation of the church. Do you think that was easy for Peter? 
because the truth of the matter is, it wasn't. And yet here is Christ saying to him, you're going to be the rock. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have to show who I am. You're going to have to walk faithfully. And if you know anything about Scripture, we believe that Peter, in the end, was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. And if you read the books of First and Second Peter, you don't see a guy shallow. You don't see a guy struggling. You don't see a guy denying Jesus. You see a rock. You see a rock who in his old age is still pointing people to the truth about his Savior and building up the kingdom. Man, I... You long to some degree. I long to some degree for us to wake up a little bit and realize that when we confess him as Lord, that there's a response from him. It says, now here's your role. Walk in your role. Some of them are small roles. Some of them are big roles. Some of them are behind the scene roles. Some of them are out front roles. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as we'll serve the Lord because we know who he is. Because people out there need to know who he is. But man, as we read on here a little bit, we have to decide if we've set our, our mind on God's interests or if we set our mind on our own. That's usually the question, isn't it? Well, he tells Peter, on this rock, you, you're going to be a part of it. Build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this is also a misquoted verse because many times people say that I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against her, right? And then you hear people saying, we're going to storm the gates of hell and we're going to overcome the influence of the devil. And that's not what this means at all. It's not what this means at all. The gates of Hades is a metaphor for death, which means so much more to me. Hell's been given by Christ, established by God for those that have rebelled against Christ. You're not going to overcome hell. It's a place of judgment. You shouldn't even bother with it. But death, when Christ builds his church and the gates of death, death itself will not prevail against her. It's talking about the victory that Christ has brought for us that overcomes death. And those that are a part of his kingdom because of their faith in Jesus Christ aren't going to have to worry about death. It's finished for us. It's overcome by Christ himself. And as he builds his church, nothing can prevail against his work in the lives of those who know Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I'll build my church. We're the testimony of Christ Jesus' victory over death. You and I that know him are a testimony of a victory of those over, over death. And we all live like it, by the way. Amen? How many of you are more afraid of you know, death than you are of anything else? More afraid of struggling? More, more afraid of sickness? More afraid of you know, abuse or neglect or, or people not liking you? Man, we're so afraid of so many things. But if death can't touch us, what do, we, what do we have to be afraid of? It's just ridiculous to me sometimes. Guys, we need to live like Christ is who we confess him to be in our life, don't we? Any amens here today? 
We got to listen to this stuff. This isn't just kind of pie in the sky stuff. This is how we learn to live in this world. This is who we are in this world. This is the influence that we can have in this world. Christ in us, working in us, using us, calling us to higher things, calling us to faith, calling us to service. Man, this is what God wants from his church. We ought to be the force in this world. There is nothing that can come against us. If God is for us, who shall be against us? What can rob us from the love of Christ Jesus? Not anything, not life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities. Nothing can, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But man, we don't even know what we've done when we confess Christ anymore. We just kind of confess him as Lord and Savior. We kind of join the church. We don't really know what that means. We don't want to know what that means. We don't want there to be any kind of commitment. We don't want there to be any kind of sacrifice. We don't want there to be any love. We don't want there to be any faith. We just want to be left alone, and then when we get to the time where it's time to call us home, let God take us home and let it be. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's be worldly. Let's do it. Guys, are you listening? I'm worldly. I'm not picking on you. I'm worldly. I don't want to be, man, I mean that with all my heart. I don't want to be. It's such a battle for us. But it's got to start with that confession. You are the Christ. You are the Lord. You, you're the one that I live for. You're the one that leads me. You're the one I'm accountable to. And I love you. And I want to serve you. He goes on. He says to him, crazy things, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now let's clarify some things here, because there's some misunderstandings about this verse too. How many of you have heard about Peter at the pearly gates? (laughs) Why should I let you into heaven? Peter does not have the keys to the entrance of heaven. He's not the one that says you can come in or you can't come in. That's not how that works. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. You want the key to heaven? It's Jesus Christ. You've got to go through him. There is no other way. That's not what this is saying. Matter of fact, it's not even the keys to the entrance of the kingdom of heaven. In the New Testament times, the master would give the keys to the steward of the household. The steward would have the keys to the warehouses, to the storehouses, to the place where the food was kept and the other resources were kept. And then he was in charge of making sure that he distributed that to the other servants or to the people of the house. He didn't have the keys to the house. That was for the master, right? He was the only one that had the keys to the entrance. The steward, though, was in charge of making sure that the others, right, were taken care of. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven so he could serve the others and, again, be part of the foundation that Christ has for his church. And then he says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. 
whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed on earth. And when he talks about binding, when he talks about loosing, he's talking about what is allowable and what isn't allowable, what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. So Peter, you're going to bind things because they're not allowable. And Peter, you're going to loose things because they are acceptable. And you're going to do that because that's already been done in heaven. You're not making the decision. That's another twisted part that people make out of this passage of Scripture. I've heard people say, if I just declare it, then God's going to do it. Really? So you now reign over him. No. No. No one reigns over him. Most high God, Scripture says. No one over him. You don't get to say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to bind this, and I'm going to loose this, and God just go, okay, sure, we'll just do that for you. Now, as a steward, God would lead Peter, and God will lead us, and because he's leading us, when we do it, it's done, because it's God's will. And so he says to Peter, listen, I'm giving you authority. Authority is a scary word. How many of you think authority is a scary word? If you don't think authority is a scary word, you don't have any. Because if you've been given authority, and most of us have, by the way, if you've been given authority, you're accountable. That's what authority is. You're accountable. The buck stops with you if you have authority. Whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you have a, you're a boss somewhere, a leader somewhere, if you have authority, man, you're accountable. God has given Peter authority, but when he calls us to step up and serve, guess what? He's given us authority as well to follow him and to do what he's called us to do. And we're accountable for that. Who else is accountable? Man, for so many years, you know, people have come to me and said, hey, pastor, did you know that, that this didn't get done? I'm like, huh, most of the time I know. I love it when it's something as simple as, you know, did you know that this room's dirty? No. At College Heights, there's a room that's not been vacuumed. I'm like, yeah, so what do you want? Well, you know, are you going to take care of it? Uh Uh-uh. What do you mean you're not going to take care of it? I'm like, nope, because somebody else should have done that. And if I do it, nobody else will ever do it. So I'm not going to do it. You want to do it? That's usually what I ask them. Why don't you do it? Well, you know, (laughs) sometimes they do. The ones that actually do it never come talk to me. It's the ones that don't want to do it and blame somebody else to come talk to me. But truth is, is I'm not accountable for everything. I'm accountable for what God wants me to do. The kingdom of heaven is filled with people who are accountable, who've been given authority to do specific things within the body of Christ. And when they don't do it, guess what? It shouldn't get done because it's on you when it doesn't get done. When you don't step up to serve, it's on you. It's not on me. What's on me is what I've been called to do. And so when God gives us authority like he calls Peter, then we should step up and be a part of what God wants us to do in the kingdom. If that's teach, teach. If that's give, give. If that's show hospitality, show hospitality. Man, if that's to serve in the nursery, serve in the nursery. If it's to go out and do whatever in this community, go do it. But you're accountable for what God called you to. It's not somebody else's job to do your job. You are gifted by God. And you're accountable. And man, we, we want to pass the buck. Any buck passers in here? I don't know. Raise your hand. 
I might be the chief of them. I mean it. Listen, this stuff's personal to me. There's so much. I mean, there's, there's so many blessings in being faithful to Jesus. And it's so empty to fall short of that. I never want to fall short of my king. I never want to fall short of my savior. I do it all the time, but I don't want to. And I pray daily before my feet hit the bed, Lord, I don't want to live in this world without you. I don't want to do what you want or what I want to do today. I want to follow you. Show me where to go. Show me how to do it. Give me the grace to do it. I don't want to put my feet on the ground till I know you're going to lead me today. That's all I ask of him before I get out of bed. I want you to lead me. And then I get up. I did it this morning. And Lord, please lead me today. And it ought to be about Christ. So he tells Peter, all right, you've confessed me. Now be the rock. And he was. And then he says, and it's almost strange. Verse 20 says, then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was a Christ. And I had somebody come to me last week and say, man, why would he say that? And I said, well, if you give me time next week, I'll tell you. But let me just say this. The world wasn't ready. They weren't ready because even the disciples weren't quite sure what it meant to have a Christ. But for us, we're ready. And the world's ready. Because we know who he is now. But read with me this next passage, if you will, and we'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Verse 11 says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, all of a sudden, right, Jesus has brought them to the kind of this crux in the life of their Savior. He's in the far north region of Galilee, and he's about to head south, and he's about to go hard. And the opposition against him is about to rise up and continue to grow until they crucify him. And so he says from that time, he begins to tell his disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and the political leaders of their nation, the guys that should be for God who aren't. They're gonna, he's going to suffer at their hands and they're going to kill him. And on the third day, he's going to rise up. And Peter lost his mind. I mean, he lost his mind. The Bible says he took Jesus away and rebuked him. How can you rebuke the Messiah? How can you rebuke God in the flesh? He just said to him, you're the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the Son of the living God. You, I know who you are. And now Peter says, I know better than you. Peter lost his mind. He said, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter all of a sudden decides that he knows better than Jesus what the Messiah is supposed to be. That's what he's saying. I know better. The Messiah is not supposed to die. 
The Messiah is not supposed to suffer. The Messiah is not supposed to be hounded. He's not supposed to be persecuted. The Messiah is supposed to be victorious. The Messiah is supposed to give us victory over our enemies on earth. The Messiah is supposed to be the political deliverer. The Messiah is supposed to make life comfortable for us. The Messiah is supposed to make life easy for us. The Messiah is supposed to make it nice so I have all that I want in this world and no one's ever given me a hard time. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It doesn't? You've never heard anybody say, where's God when I don't get what I want? Where's God when I have to go through trials? Where's God when I lose a loved one? Where's God when I don't get the raise at work? Where's God when I have a boss that doesn't treat me very well? Where's God when I have any kind of infliction in the all <coughs> in this world, where's God? You've never heard anybody say that to you? I know that's not true. I know you have. I know sometimes we say that, don't we? Because Peter's expectation of the Messiah was not the expectation of God's Messiah. Our expectation of God oftentimes isn't what God expects at all of himself. Our expectation of God is to make us comfortable in our flesh, to make life easy to have all the creature comforts, to never be cold, to never be hot, to never be tired, to never have a need, to always have the new, 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 right? Isn't that what we expect of God? Is anybody with me? Is anybody thinking? Here we say we've made this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. We say we've said he's the, Lord, the, the son of the living God. We say he's the Lord, and he's right, and he's good, and he's true. We even say we know you died on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. We say that. But instead of trusting in eternal life, we trust in stuff and in things and in self we want money, we want comfort, we want success, we want honor. We don't want any kind of suffering Messiah because quite honestly, when you really break it down, God's goal for believers is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the image of Jesus Christ is one who came to give his life a ransom for many. So our life is to be modeled after him, giving our life as a ransom for many, not getting everything we can get and being mad when we don't get what we want. It's a false expectation of the Savior, and it's a false expectation of the Christian life, the expectation of the Christian life that is true and satisfying is that no matter what we go through, he's going to be with us. No matter what we suffer, he's sufficient for us. No matter what they do to us in their persecution or anything else they do to us, even if it's to death, we have life in Jesus Christ. Man, Peter had this completely wrong understanding who the Messiah was supposed to be. And for many of us, we still have it wrong. It's heartbreaking to me when we say we're going to go out door to door. Man, the last few times we've had really good turnout, 30, 40 people. And 
I, I consider that to be great. At least that's what I say on the outside. Because I wonder where the rest of the 350 are. I wonder where the rest of the people are. I really do. Why won't people come out? Why won't people go door to door? Why won't people knock on a door and say, hey, we love you in the name of Jesus and can we talk to you about how to have eternal life? And I know there's lots of different reasons. I do. And I really don't dwell on it very much. I don't. But then I think, why? Why? Is it so hard to serve Jesus that we can't walk down a street, knock on a door? Is that so hard? Is that so much suffering that we can't do it? Are we so uncomfortable with Christ in our life? Are we so insecure in our faith in Jesus Christ that we can shun a lost and dying world to satisfy our own comfort? I know I'm being personal. I know. I don't know any other way to be. Why aren't we asking that question? Why are we afraid to talk about that question? Why are we we afraid to say, I know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and now you've called me to impact my world, and we go, no, no, no. Yeah, something's not right there. It's not right. Don't sit there and say it's okay. It's not okay. I'll be honest with you. You don't have to go door to door with our church when we do it. But chances are, if you're not going to go door to door, you're probably not doing it anywhere else either. Even though you might want to, you're not. The problem is, is understanding who the Messiah is. The one who is our Lord came to die for the sins of the world. He came to die for those people that you knock on their door and maybe they're not very nice to you. He came to die for them. And they're not going to hear about Jesus unless you go. He came to die for the sins of the world. It doesn't matter if they have nice cars sitting in their driveway. Those cars won't save them. It doesn't matter if they have a big house. That big house won't save them. It doesn't matter if you're intimidated because they have this or they don't have that. Nothing's going to save them but Christ. And we don't even understand that because our view of the Messiah is so shallow that we think he's a physical God that wants to bless us physically. And he does want to take care of us. But that's not why Jesus came. He came to die for the sins of the world. And when Peter said, when Peter said, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you, Jesus' response to him was severe. Look at verse 23. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Can you imagine? I mean, here's Peter. He's just made this big confession. I'm sure he felt like Christ betrayed him. I'm sure he, made, he felt like Christ made him feel silly. I've confessed you as Lord and Savior. Now you're going to tell me you're going to die? And Jesus is like, you are speaking like Satan. That's what Satan would say. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. 
You're not concerned about God's interest. You're concerned about man's interest. You're not concerned about God's ways. You're concerned about your ways. You're not concerned about the salvation of the souls of these people. You're concerned about political things, and you're concerned about worldly things, and you're concerned about cheap things. God's concerned about saving the world. That's why I'm going to the cross. And did you not hear that on the third day I'll rise again? Because it didn't even occur to Peter that he told him he was going to rise again. He couldn't get over the fact that the Messiah would have to suffer. Listen, guys, I, I know I've been really personal this morning. I'm not sorry. I'm not trying to back out of it. But somewhere along the way, we're going to have to make some decisions about who we are in Christ all of us, all of us, you call Jesus Messiah, you call him Savior, then you are called by him, right? What does Jesus say about you? Does he call you rock? Does he call you servant? Does he call you witness? Does he call you slave? That's what we are, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, honestly, wouldn't you rather be a child and a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ's servant than anything else? Because if you're not there, what do you say about Jesus? Does he call you stumbling block? Does he call you Satan because you've stood against him for your own satisfaction, for your own interest rather than caring about God's interest? What does Jesus say about you? What does he say about me? Quite honestly, as we're going to see next week, there's great cost to discipleship. Great cost. But the cost of discipleship's cheap compared to the joy of life. But we're going to have to fix that in our minds. I have to fix that in our minds. So as we finish this morning, I want to ask you, what, what does Jesus say about you? What is he saying about you? What's the Spirit saying to you about you? Are you faithful to him? Are you willing to follow him? Will you take your eyes off of the things of this world and put them on him? Is he saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he saying, get behind me, a stumbling block? I pray you'll actually answer those questions truthfully in your heart. Not because I want you to feel bad. Truth is, is you should feel really bad if you're not walking with Christ and yet confessing him as Lord, you should feel really bad because that's not the response that Christ wants from us. It's not what he expects of us. He expects us to serve him and love him. So the way to feel better is to repent of that and actually be faithful to him. Amen? Some of you, honestly, you need to figure out whether you're really saved or not. Man, if you're not saved... You're not in this game. You're not in Christ's church. He's not using you for anything. You're separated from him because of your sins. 
And what you need is to repent and believe in Jesus and confess him as a Messiah and confess him as a son of God and believe and be born again. And he, he gave his life for you. He loves you. So let's pray. Let's respond to Christ this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It's hard sometimes. There's nothing casual or cheap or insignificant about confessing you as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There's nothing cheap about that. It comes with your call in our life to declare to us who we'll be and how we'll serve and how we'll give our life for you. You tell us, Lord, you're the Lord. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would take that seriously and fill the roles that you've called us to that your kingdom might be strengthened and grow that others might come to know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that if we are stumbling blocks because our minds are set on our own interests and not yours, that, Lord, you'd convict us and lead us to repentance that we might turn our mind back to you, Lord, and see this world as a spiritual place, a place where we need to share Christ, where others need to come to know you, where the greatest and most important thing is for souls to be saved. Teach us, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that you'd bless our response this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Our pastors will be down front. Love to pray with you. God's speaking to you.
love you, Lord. Thank you for being here. Thank you for speaking, Lord. Speak the things that we need. Make us willing, Lord, to respond to you humbly in worship, thanksgiving. Let us, Lord Jesus, turn our eyes to you, to your death on the cross and your resurrection. Give you praise and thanks for that incredible gift of salvation. Help us, Lord God, be compassionate and merciful and gracious that we might take this gospel into our city, share hope, Lord God, with those that we meet. Let us not be sorry, Lord God, or afraid or rebellious. Let us love you, Lord. And Father, may you bless each man and woman, each boy and girl. May you bless them. Fill them with your presence. Give them life and hope. The lost we pray that you'd save. And we'll give you praise, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.